I just want to start Dan by uh, saying big shout out to Skylar Thompson because that kid, if uh, it's one of those weird things where I never expected in my life that I would live near Missouri and have uh, have to you know give props to people from Missouri all the time, but it's where I live now and it's what where I where I uh, a lot of my bread is buttered. And Skylar Thompson, I've learned so much about this kid over the last couple of weeks because he uh, is, uh, when you see his profile, like where he went, you know, grew up and everything, credits it to Palmyra, Missouri, about 15 minutes away from me right here in Quincy, Illinois, just across the river. Um, I don't think he played his high school football there, but the family's all from the area Thompson family. They even gave the shout out to the dad during the game that he, you know, made like the 15 hour drive from Missouri to Buffalo for the game. Uh, it, you know, I will say this. Um, I thought he played with a ton of heart. I thought he made a, a bunch of great plays. I thought he took advantage of some opportunities, but I will say this. I do, I do have to put a little bit of that critical, you know, brain on uh, a little bit. Now watching a lot of these standalone games and watching the quarterback play, you have moments where you look at a guy like him and you say, Oh man, like, yeah, he can make, pretty much every throw you need him to make. But then you have those moments, especially when you're against Josh Allen, where it's like when there's just a little bit of pressure and he doesn't get the ability to completely step into a throw where like the ball just like dies or floats compared to a guy like Josh Allen, who it's like he could be falling backwards while he's being tackled. And with like a flick of the wrist, it's still like a 40 yard dart on target. And like, that's the difference when you look at like, just pure like arm strength ability versus like, no, this guy can read the coverages, play the position, understand where the ball needs to go. But when you talk about like the freakishly gifted, and we saw a lot of that this weekend versus the guys who are just capable of playing the position. That was one of those moments. There's so shout out to Thompson. Yeah. I know it started off as like a kudos to the local kid. <laughs> They're like, yeah, you're no Josh Allen, but it's just how it is. It's how it is, and you could carve out a very nice career for yourself with just doing that. Just be a backup in yeah. the league, some guy that can play quarterback, uh, but not necessarily at the elite level to get those big starter contracts. But yeah, I mean, that's what you see here in the postseason more than anything else is those plays we saw some really good quarterback battles uh i'd say i'd be hard pressed to say that really outside of maybe the seahawks 49ers game the best quarterback won uh, especially the quarterback who performed the uh, the best and stepped up to the plate the most won in those moments uh you know cowboys obviously uh buccaneers we can talk about in a little bit but you gotta give it to dak for outplaying tom brady for the entirety of that game but it just goes to show, though, that when you got a franchise guy, uh, the franchise guys, uh, if they are in that top tier, are going to be in the postseason. And you're going to see it on display more often than not, even in a wild card round. We saw that with Josh Allen, despite it being a very close game, despite some sloppy play, you still get freakish plays out of these superstars. And that's kind of what pushes them past the rest. So, yeah, here we are in our wildcat wild card recap episode, as well as a divisional preview yeah say that five times fast um but yeah it was a wild weekend 
I am not a fan of this Monday night thing. I think it's yeah. bananas that we're going to have people playing short weeks. Uh, the Saturday, Sunday thing's already a slight advantage with a day there to now add a two day gap essentially between these two teams uh, seems wildly unfair. The Cowboys going to run into that situation where they play the 49ers later on this weekend, but we'll get to the divisional round uh, probably midway through this episode, but we wanted to kind of go over obviously all of these great games that took place Um, real quick. I'm just going to hit a couple of these notes before we get into that wild card preview mark, as we do with the notes throughout the league. Uh, Just some quick things. Uh, Jim Harbaugh uh, reports are that he is going to be returning to Michigan. So it seems like that uh, about 10 day to uh, two week gap of there being some heated talk about him foregoing college to come back to the professional ranks. Seems like that's going to be on hold at least for a little bit longer. Sean Payton finished interview with uh, the Houston Texans. And I think that's probably where that will stay uh, moving forward. But hey, crazier things have happened. Cardinals hired themselves a GM, so now they're going to have to find themselves a head coach after Cliff Kingsbury was let go. Uh, And finally, after the uh, Ravens loss, which we will get to, uh, J.K. Dobbins, very vocal afterwards about, you know, if we have Lamar in this game, we win, which is an interesting choice of words to throw shade almost. I mean, he's not wrong, obviously, but it's almost like, uh, you know, hey, you win with the guys in the locker room, you lose with them too. Um, But not only that, Mark, fans and the teammates uh, throughout the locker room all came to defense of Lamar in this contract dispute situation. Obviously it wasn't made clear that Lamar was not playing in this game due to his own choices. Uh, But you read between the lines, you could tell, you know, Lamar probably could have come back early, but decided to prioritize his health since the Ravens haven't given him that long-term deal. It's what we've been talking about for a while now. Um, So I'll just leave on that note and kind of get your thoughts on the Lamar situation, on the fact that the entire team is rallying for this guy to get paid Uh, just a couple days after their playoff loss. They're already, you know, coming out in support of him. I think it says a lot about the pressure that not only Lamar was applying to the Ravens, but now the entire team, this is going to be a tough one for Baltimore to just uh, let this guy go without a contract extension. It's really, to me, coming down to the fact that um, they're going to play a little more chicken this summer. They're going to play. They're going to have that game where it's like if Lamar's number hasn't changed. And remember, it's Lamar and his mom that are negotiating this contract. And if it's if their number hasn't changed, they want fully guaranteed money equal to or more than Deshaun Watson or in that ballpark. I'm sorry if I'm the Ravens, I would be comfortable setting that precedent of saying we are not the Cleveland Browns. Maybe the Jets will be that desperate and give you that money. Maybe the commanders would be desperate and give you that money. I don't know, but we are not going to set that precedent. And I would stand by that if I'm then. So far, the last three mega deals done by quarterbacks, Watson, Wilson, and Murray, all of them look like horrifically bad deals right now for the franchises. And so um, there was a run of good contracts. You know, the, the Mahomes deal, the Allen deal, those were big deals, but they were spread out over eight years and 10 years. And you have all this flexibility to move money further down as the cap will expand. Uh, and then you get this run of these three deals in a row that were just mega deals, four and five year deals. Where you're talking about massive amounts of money, uh, like the Aaron Rodgers deal, another really bad deal because it kind of traps the franchise. 
Um, they're really real, really player friendly. If I'm the Ravens, I would look to extend maybe the years. I would say, listen, Lamar, we'll go up to six years or seven years. Like we'll extend the years, but we're not going fully guaranteed. And if Lamar is 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 firm on this, and it's just about the money, I think there will be an organization that would trade for Lamar and be willing to do a deal um, that Lamar would be happy with. And I do think that Lamar would, uh, within two years, regret it terribly. I, if I was in Lamar's year, if I could get a hold of Lamar, I would tell him to to get with the Ravens this year. You already saw what you when you get beat up, how you know how quickly your career can you know start to unravel with injuries. Um, I would I would get that Kyler Murray esque deal. I would take that. I'd run with it. I'd be and I'd say. I want to clause my contract that says every year you got to draft me a wide receiver or something like, you know what I mean? Like get build up around me, build that help. So that's going to be one of the biggest storylines of the off season, because I don't think if you're the, if you're the Ravens and you tag Lamar Jackson, I don't think he's going to play under it. I think he could force a trade. And then all of a sudden all, you know, what could kind of break loose in the NFL because Lamar Jackson's one of those six guys that uh, a lot of teams in the league would give up whatever they have to just go get him, uh, especially in the NFC. If Lamar Jackson could find his way to the NFC, he instantly becomes one, you know, the top dog. Like, I mean, in the in the NFC, uh, right there with Jalen Hurts as far as the young guys uh, kind of running the NFC for the future. Matt Stafford, depending on his health next year, might have a little bit to say about that, but uh, it is a, it's a different world um, in the NFC versus the AFC. So that is going to be one of the biggest storylines, if not the biggest storyline of the off season. Oh yeah, definitely. It's going to be up there for sure. And you, you, you're right. I mean, they're going to be playing uh, with fire a little bit if they do choose to place that franchise tag. I, I think they ultimately, that's where this thing goes to extend the negotiating window. Um, but you know, from their a aspect as well, I mean, it's been pretty clear. It seems that Lamar would be willing to hold out and potentially even hold out for back-to-back -back years uh, if, if it came down to something like that. Um, and it would just kind of kick the can down the road for the Ravens. Yeah. So uh, better to have a clean break sometimes than to uh, force the hand and, um, and, and put yourself in that position. So It'll be interesting to see for sure, and uh, I'm really curious to see what the Cardinals end up doing for their head coaching uh, vacancy as well, considering it's really not as enticing of a job as it seemed back when uh, Cliff Kingsbury took over the helm there. It's uh, it's a little bit rough. Uh, it's really not sure. a great job. I mean, I got to be honest. I was doing on my Saturday show, I was kind of doing that whole let's rank the jobs type of things. Uh, the pickings are slim. I would make the argument right now the Carolina Panthers to me are the most attractive job open because, uh, and that's saying yep, something yep. because they have young pieces in a very winnable division with a very rich, aggressive owner. Um, and so I, I would argue to me that's the best job available. They're also in a spot in the draft where they can trade up um, or they're in a spot where they, they have enough firepower to trade for a quarterback that they would want. Maybe it's a Lamar Jackson, whoever. I, I would argue that's maybe the best spot. Uh, usually you argue, oh, if you have an established quarterback, that's a great place to be. But the established quarterbacks who are looking for head coaches have are coming off of either disastrous injuries or just disastrous years. And I, I don't know if I want a, any part of those situations. 
Yeah, I mean, it'll change a lot once we find out maybe where Derek Carr ends up next year, yeah. or even you know Jimmy Garoppolo to it to a lesser extent, and maybe some of these jobs become a little bit more attractive with uh, that kind of security and peace of mind there. But that is for the offseason talk, and we will get there. We'll have plenty to discuss come March and uh, onward. But let's get to these uh, wild card games. Seahawks at the 49ers. You know, this was a game that I think we we, we both called. Uh, we both, yep. you know, took the 49ers to win. Um, I'll go as far as to even say I was pretty spot on in terms of how this thing would play out. Uh, I thought that it was going to be close early on. The Seahawks yep. start to come back. Uh, and, and they did have a one-point lead at the break. Uh, and then fourth quarter, it gets carried away. And the 49ers completely, you know, blow the lid off of them in the second half. That is what happened. Brock Purdy had a really good game. He didn't have to do too much, uh, but he threw three touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey was really efficient on the ground, and that 49ers defense uh, made it difficult, especially in the second half, for Seattle to do anything. It was just, you know, the candle burned out uh, for the Seahawks. The magic season of Geno Smith and company uh, fizzled, and um, when they had to go up against the second-best team in the NFC, uh, some would argue that, you know, could be top three teams in the NFL still in this postseason. Uh, you know, you, you got to see some of those negatives come to the you know forefront for Seattle. And ultimately, uh, 49ers defense put on a clinic and were able to showcase why they're one of the best, if not uh, the best at being a well-rounded unit and. Man, if you told me that when Jimmy G went down, I mean, really, when Trey Lance goes down, Jimmy G comes back, Jimmy G gets hurt, that the 49ers we would be talking about as being Super Bowl, legitimate Super Bowl contenders are now one game away from the conference championship. We'll see what you think about that. I think they get there. I mean, it's crazy that they've been able to get what they've been able to get out of a uh, fourth round or uh, not fourth round a seventh round pick at quarterback but impressive clinic all around for San Fran yeah I think you nailed it in a little bit there in the sense that um the game was the only one of the divisional games that ended up not being close on the scoreboard and it's really because the the Seahawks ran out of juice Gino had a really great season and Gino if I was the Seahawks right now I I'd be apt to bring him back I mean I think you have to be aggressive and look to yeah, see maybe yeah. what's else out there Maybe you do draft or, you know, free agency, but I, he did a really great job this year. And in the end, he needed to play a perfect game with a lot less talent around him to beat the best defense in the league. And he couldn't do it. That's no shame on Geno Smith. That's, you know, that is a, that is a tough ask for any great quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, so kudos to the Niners. You're um, I'll say this for Brock Purdy. That's got to feel good, that second half, like, loosening up. He was tight in the first half. Things weren't going great. But if you're asking a Niners fan this morning, hey, what was your nightmare going into that game? Well, your nightmare was Purdy looks overwhelmed, and then he, you know, and, and, and he just falls apart. Well, Throws your nightmare, four picks. Yeah. He, li he lived it in the first half, and, he, and what did he do? He came out and had a great second half. So hopefully now that kind of shock and all of the playoffs that is off of him a little bit. You can just go out there and play football. I think they have a great matchup against the Cowboys. We'll talk about all the matchups for next weekend soon, but yeah, a dominating win by the Niners. It ended up being uh, the only non-divisional game that wasn't close. And it, it started what I thought was going to be a boring weekend of football. 
And uh, we it was anything but it. It was the only kind of boring game there by the end of it of the whole of the whole slate. Yeah, a lot of these going down to the wire, and um, you know that kind of leads us to the Jacksonville Jaguars' unprobable comeback. Uh, speaking of a quarterback that had a tale of two halves, I don't think anyone's had a stark of a contrast uh, between the first and second half as Trevor Lawrence did in this game. So the Chargers jumping out to a twenty-seven to nothing lead in the first half. Jacksonville, you know, looking all but dead in the water. Trevor threw as many completions as he did interceptions. Oh yeah, it was brutal. Through the first six drives of this game, with four, he had four interceptions, four completions through six drives in this game. It was just brutal. I mean, we saw. I'm sure you did the uh, the bet that someone made when the Chargers were up twenty seven nothing. Someone bet one point four million dollars on uh, the Chargers to win, only to win eleven grand on that bet because of the probabilities. They end up losing $1.4 million on that deal. Someone not happy this week uh, going into work, that's for sure. But uh, an incredible comeback. It was the third largest comeback in postseason history uh, in the NFL, led by a second-year quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, say what you want about Brandon Staley, and I agree that he really blew this game. I mean, this was really the Chargers chargering in about every aspect. That I mean, they've they've had the most brutal losses uh, of the last decade, 15 years even, that I can recall, Mark. But this one probably stands at the very top just yeah. in terms of them being up at 27 nothing that they were. I get the whole talk about you know Brandon Staley and they're going to have to move off of him as head coach, and I agree with a lot of that. At the end of the day, there's no excuse for the offense to not be able to put up more than three points the rest of this game. And... That's not all on the head coach. A lot of it is, and he deserves, uh, you know, all of the negative attention that comes with that. But it's wild when you have Austin Eckler, no Mike Williams, whatever. You have Keenan Allen, you have Justin Herbert, uh, and Austin Eckler, and, uh, you know, Gerald Everett had a great game. To not be able to get anything going in the entire second half is brutal. I mean, that's just, it's really, really bad. Meanwhile, the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, put on an absolute clinic in that second half. So really it was... One team completely folding and falling apart, and the other choosing to pick themselves up, have a resurgence. I think that seven points in the second quarter really helped Jacksonville feel like, hey, this is still attainable. Uh, they didn't go down 27 to nothing at the break. They were able to get seven points back, show that they can actually get a score, and then uh, were able to get over the hump. So huge win for Trevor Lawrence. Got to give them all the credit uh, to Jacksonville for doing it, but the Chargers did blow this all the same. Well, remember, Brandon Staley's a defensive coach, and I would argue your defense gave up 31 yeah. points in the last, you know. That's terrible. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's just another reason why Brandon Staley should be fired. It doesn't look like he is going to be fired. Uh, they just fired Joe Lenardi, their offensive coordinator, uh, today. So he's out. So I think that's where they're putting the blame on. I think Trevor – I think um, uh, Justin Herbert deserves a little of the blame. You, you know, Patrick Mahomes lost in the AFC Championship game at home because their offense stalled. And we put a little pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Like, hey, all you had to do was find a way to get one extra first down, one extra field goal, and, like, extend one extra of those drives in the second half against the Bengals' defense, and you would have been in the Super Bowl. And they didn't do that. And so the Chargers, it's the same thing. Now, I, to me, the game turns around. You kick that field goal, 
you go up 27 nothing and then you uh, the chart you immediately get a three and out and then you get a th- you have a three and out you let the jags then with 125 left in the first half get a throwaway touchdown at that point you think oh whatever okay let's go into halftime you end the play with you know your kneel down and you go into half right well it, the chargers i mean punt field goal miss field goal punt you only had four possessions in the second half and on that field goal drive, you know, the, the missed field goal drive, it's a 14 play 58 yard, uh, seven minute drive. I, Justin Herbert, you know, you got to find ways to elevate and you as the coach in the, uh, in the locker room at halftime have to be preaching to your team. Don't let this team get any sense of daylight. You like, you have to come out on that first drive. You get the ball back. If you were to put even just up a field goal in that drive or a touchdown in that opening drive, like where's your your scripted game plan of like first 10 plays of the drive at the start of the second half? Like you know you're getting the ball to start the second half as soon as the coin toss happens. Like like there were so many moments the Chargers could have just put this game out of reach and put it behind them. Uh, and uh, credit to the Jags for fighting back, staying in it, and Trevor Lawrence having a hell of a second half. Uh, getting uh, uh, an amazing, amazing victory. I mean, that final that final drive, three minutes a clock, 10 plays uh, to get that field goal to win the game. That was an impressive, impressive drive by Jacksonville. Jacksonville now, um, they are building such a momentum into next year. They're in a weak division. They're getting uh, Ridley from Atlanta. They've already made that trade. He's just stashed waiting there to clear his suspension um, this team is a team that is ripe for a, a maybe even a larger step forward. And we'll talk about a little bit coming on up here, but in order for you now to be claiming that you're one of the top dogs in the, in the quarterback world, you've got to win either enough games to get you to a championship game, or you got to win a championship game or a Super Bowl. Like you got to be in the championship game, a championship game winner or a Super Bowl winner. So as of right now, that's only Pat Mahomes. That's only Joe Burrow. That's only Josh Allen. But Trevor Lawrence could throw a huge wrench into this whole thing if he could pull an upset. We'll talk about that game coming on up here. But um, uh, it puts Trevor Lawrence uh, kind of firmly above Justin Herbert right now in my mind. Uh, and I do think Herbert needs more help around him. And he needs a coach that doesn't get his wide receivers back broken in a meaningless game. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that outside of Kansas City and maybe San Fran, Jacksonville is the only other team that is truly surging Yes, at this time in the postseason. Uh, the Bills have struggled. They aren't looking as amazing. Um, and, you know, the Giants obviously uh, eked one out. The Bengals had a tough one. So, yeah, I, I would say Jacksonville is about as hot as any team in the postseason right now. And that that's always a dangerous team to have to play against, uh, regardless of if it's the divisional round, AFC championship, whatever it may be. Uh, speaking of the Bills, they get a win at home, a three-point win over the Dolphins and Skylar Thompson. This was a pretty sloppy game. I think we'd both kind of agree overall. Yeah. Um, that that had you know the Bills going up early, kind of punching them in the mouth in that first quarter. Dolphins kind of searching back and. Uh, putting up a fight in the second quarter to where it's what a, a Buffalo three point lead at the break. Uh, and that Buffalo uh, able to, to just get that win 
uh, in the end with a uh, a third two touchdowns in the third quarter uh, to win by three. But man, it, it was real close throughout. I don't think that the Bills probably envisioned Miami putting up as much of a fight with Skylar Thompson as they were. Perhaps this is a good thing for Buffalo to go into like the first round, kind of getting punched in the mouth a little bit and a little bit of a shock to the system. Because, you know, from my perspective, that's the thing is we talked about this all season long. Once again, we didn't see a run game from Buffalo. And when you're going up against a team like the Dolphins that can help control the line of scrimmage, that can create problems for you. And when you need to lean into, okay, let's take some time off the clock. Like, that's where, you know, things can really go south for you if you're not able to play that kind of ball. And it seems like the Bills weren't able to play that kind of ball for a little bit of this game. And, you know, they were saved by their ability to to score twice in the third quarter, but, you know, shut out in the fourth, it, it got close. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you're feeling great if you're Buffalo into this one. Meanwhile, Miami, I mean, you did what you kind of set out to do. You you got here, uh, you were looking great, and then Tua gets hurt. And so you're like, ah, oh, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but you find a way to get into the postseason. Yeah, you lose your first game, but I think, you know, Miami would – overall say they took a step forward this year meanwhile buffalo i mean i don't think that was a, a as convincing of a performance uh going into the divisional round as you would have expected no absolutely not and i will say if you're buffalo you did win though like i mean it is one of those disaster averted crisis averted i think buffalo played with their food a little bit man especially after getting out to that big lead and then the food kind of bit back at them and i think they were shocked about that i, I think they really were and it it kind of caught him off guard. I didn't ever really feel, though, as though Buffalo wasn't going to find a way to win this game. Josh Allen has got to cut down to the sure. turnovers. I mean, he really does. And I think part of that is on Josh where it's like, you know, you're getting a little too loose. Josh, the one thing I'll say about the Bills offense that really concerns me right now, besides the run game, obviously, we've beaten that to death all season. It's a huge concern, is that the Bills don't seemingly have that just string of plays in their playbook where it's like, Hey, third and five, go get seven. Hey, hey, uh, hey, yes. Second and six, go get eight. Like they just don't have those plays. No one is better in the league right now of just exploding and gigantic plays and wow plays than Buffalo. But you live by that. You can die by that. And part of that is Josh Allen is going to create turnovers. He's going to, and those turnovers, if your defense isn't elite and isn't playing perfectly, they're going to let up points. It's the modern NFL we, rules favor offense. So that's a concern. Otherwise I felt like Buffalo breathe a sigh of relief. You're home next week. You got a, an emotional big game coming on up refocusing and, uh, but they escaped, they escaped. That was the best way to say it in the end there. They played with the food and they escaped. Yeah. It, it does seem that there's a lot of, um, off script uh, too much off script uh in buffalo rather than as you mentioned just attacking certain downs in a certain way and having certain scripted plays uh to get x amount of yardage i'm sure they are there but it doesn't play out that way throughout an entire game and it doesn't seem at least um to be that uh it seems a lot more like josh allen relying on digs or doing the deep shot to davis to try and create plays and uh you know that that can bite you sometimes as well you you got to be careful with that one the giants get a an upset over the minnesota vikings and credit where credit's due i mean 
look, uh, I know that, uh, you know, I was a little bit higher on Minnesota this year than you were. They go 13 and four and I'll grant you, they were probably at the end of this thing, the worst looking 13 and four team that I can recall recent memory, but I'll give Kevin O'Connell credit for getting to them, getting them to that point and, and making what he could of with that offense. That being said, it was still a big upset in my view for the giants to go on the road in the dome and just flat out outplay Minnesota. This one, despite being a seven point game, 31, 24 did. I felt like New yeah. York had a lot more control throughout this whole thing. And it never felt like Kirk was going to go out there and have one of those, you know, pivotal drives that you need uh, to, to solidify yourself. They felt like they were playing catch up a lot. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, Daniel Jones had himself a great game, uh, probably one of his best as a pro. And um, and New York was able to put together a complete team performance uh, aided by their defense as well in this one. Uh, I was impressed with New York's performance. I was underwhelmed by Minnesota's. Didn't really have much faith in either team, and I'm not going to, you know, change that view after this win. But, you know, good on New York. You are playing with house money right now. I'm so mad at myself for not picking New York. I wanted to pick New York, but I thought, oh, I'm going to pick another upset, and there's not going to be too many upsets, and I'll go with the Jags. And, you know, I've been so hard on the Vikings all year. I'll give them one playoff win, and then they're going to get blown out by the Niners. And uh, I I watched that game with a diehard Vikings fan, uh, one of my good buddies here in town. He's a diehard Vikings fan, and we kept saying the same thing over and over in this game. First off, A, the momentum of the game completely changed. You could tell early this was going to be both defenses are leaky. One defense is, like, historically bad in Minnesota, and the other one in in New York has a good front seven with Thibodeau and Williams, but they can give up big plays, especially to the great receiving core that Minnesota has. So it felt like it it could come down to just whoever has the ball last, kind of like how it was on New Year's Eve when these teams played. But then early in the game, The stupid trick play from Kevin O'Connell, the throw to Kirk Cousins, made no sense. It was a horrific play call with a bad moment, and it was a momentum shifting. All of a sudden, then you punt it ball back to him. The Giants score in like five plays, and bada-bing, bada-boom. Also, now you're down big. They abandoned their run game really early, Minnesota. Uh, They got away from Justin Jefferson because they were double-covering him, and, and, and by that time, it just felt like it was too much to catch up. I will say this, though. Kirk Cousins, I, I'm a, 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 a rabid anti-Kirk Cousins person, but he did not lose you that game. I mean, you your defense gave up 31 points in a home playoff game. I mean, that that's terrible. I mean, that is horrendously bad. Horrendously bad. You cannot expect to win home playoff games. To the Giants of all teams. Yeah, you know? when your defense gives yeah, up yeah. 31 points at home. I'm just sorry. Like, I, like, you, as an offense, as a quarterback, like, that's, Again, that's something that prime Brady would have to like, you know, it, it's going to be hard for them to overcome. So now does Kirk Cousins deserve criticism for being who Kirk Cousins is? Sure. I mean, that's, I wasn't surprised he checked it down to Hawkinson in fourth and eight because that's what Kirk Cousins does. So don't get mad at Kirk saying he lost the game. No, no, no. Your defense gave up 31 points at home. I will say this. There was a moment during that game where I felt like the light bulb went off for me a little bit. And I said to myself, modern NFL QBs 
this game is a, a prime example of what GMs are looking for. There were so many moments during that game where if Kirk Cousins had the running ability of Daniel Jones, the Vikings would have moved the chains and stayed alive. There were so many moments where it's like, Kirk, just scoot, go. Like, and maybe it's because now I've watched uh, two years of Justin Fields and like, it's such a luxury to just be like, oh, the pocket's collapsing. Watch, like the play's not over just because the pocket collapsed. And then I look back and I thought to myself, for uh for the for the Dolphins, I felt that way for Skylar Thompson. And then and now looking back on it for the Bucks with Tom Brady, you felt that way. Where it's like even Dak last night, you could just tell he's like, I'm gonna use whatever mobility I have to just gain those three-yard plays, those five-yard plays every once in a while to keep drives alive to make it look easier. Kirk never once just was like, oop, scoop and and skirt for 10 yards and get a quick first down. Daniel Jones won the game by just doing that a million times. And it frustrates defenses. Modern defenses can't, in the way the rules are set, they can't accommodate for a quarterback who can just quickly skirt and get you five, 10 yards. Now, there's the great quarterbacks like Fields and, and Lamar who can get you 50 yards on a breakout run when it's an undesigned player, or Josh Allen for that matter, Jalen Hurts. But man, oh man, oh man, did I leave that game saying to myself, if I'm a if I'm a brand new GM in this league, I say to myself, I don't care how good they are at throwing for four thousand yards right now. I have got to go get a guy who on a third and six, if the pocket gets a little muddied, can just skirt and get me six yards. Kirk Cousins can't do that at all. Tom Brady right now can't do that at all. Um, Brock Purdy a little bit, but not like Daniel Jones and some of those other guys. It just was so evident to me. That was such a thing that New York had and the and the Vikings didn't, and it felt so crucial to this game. Yeah, I mean, it's the difference between a three and out and you continuing a drive a lot of times, just the ability to make that decision, and that, that decision has to be made as well. It's not all just about the athletic ability. I mean, we've seen, you know, Aaron Rodgers is probably the best at it in terms of yeah. getting five yards on a scramble. I mean, he's... He's so good at finding that, you know, one gap where, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity now to just get those yards and extend the drives. And those are huge. You definitely need that, especially in today's game, to your point. Uh, the mobility is just such a big factor that it is required at this point. And it'll, even if it shows itself twice in a game, those could be at the two biggest moments of the game as well. So absolutely, uh, that that was a big difference maker as well. The Bengals game, you know, Cincinnati, obviously we would say the better team won this game. It's who we thought would win it. They didn't certainly didn't make it look easy. And um, for a while there, Baltimore looked like they were going to give them a little bit of trouble. It was a little bit of a sloppy game, slow starter, typical AFC North ball. Bengals do come away with a 24-17 win and advance and, you know, survive, if you will, with Tyler Huntley, a quarterback for the Ravens. He had a decent game through the air, all things said and done. But obviously, when you're going up against Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase had a nice game. I mean, there's too many weapons over there for the Bengals uh, to be able to to get this win. It, Ravens defense really had been struggling a lot for the second half of the year in a lot of areas, especially that secondary. They did give the Bengals some fits. It does actually taper my expectations for Cincinnati in the next couple weeks. I still think they're super talented and they can make a run and it was a divisional game. It's what you expect, but they're at home. It's a playoff game. You know, this is time to elevate uh, and really take over. 
I didn't get the sense uh, that they took over, albeit I did sense composure throughout the Bengals for the entirety of the game. And I think they were confident that they were going to come away with the win. So there is something to be said for that. What are your thoughts on on this uh, seven-point victory for them? My thoughts are the next time the Bengals play a defense that good who um, can just neutralize them that well would be the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. I, I don't think they I, I don't think the Bills can do what the Bengals, what the Ravens did to the Bengals. I don't think the Chiefs can do what the Ravens did to the Bengals. I don't think the Jaguars could do what the Ravens did to the Bengals. Uh maybe the Eagles defense, because they have a really big uh physical upfront off uh defensive line as well. Um yeah, the the listen, this is a this was a classic example of one team looking ahead a little bit. The better team also lost another starting offensive lineman. The Bengals, fucking a, their offensive line. It's so frustrating. It's, it's brutal. Um, it looks like they could get at least one of those pieces back that going into Buffalo, but we'll keep our eye on that. Um, and uh, and otherwise, it just came down to like this: the Ravens are a really good organization with a really good head coach and a great culture and a and a and a really really good defense that played lights out for most of that game and and they still lost like and that is the effect of like the Bengals yeah. are just a little bit of the better team right now with the quarterback and and the plays but burrow wasn't terrific in this game he certainly wasn't um i don't take much of it as far as a like concern similar to the bills like i don't take much as far as concern there's little things like Bengals injuries concern bills josh allen turnovers concern but otherwise, I'm not going to fret too much. Those were divisional games in in, in primetime moments where the one team knew they had nothing to play for. This is our season laid all on the line. And still, in both scenarios, the better teams survive. Yep, and that's all you can ask for. Like, like you were mentioning with uh, the Bills, they won the game. They got the victory. They did what ne- they needed yeah. to do to advance. Finally, the Cowboys at the Buccaneers on Monday Night Football – not sure we saw this type of dominant for performance coming from Dallas. No. Dak Prescott with probably his best game as a professional quarterback. Five touchdowns. Oh, he was great. Uh, by wow. Prescott. Uh, phenomenal performance uh, from him. Seemed buttoned up. Everything was precise. They seemed like they had a really good plan. They knew what to do. They gave Tony Pollard some run in this game, uh, which was huge. And uh, utilize their tight end Dalton Schultz uh, a lot more with CeeDee Lamb kind of being bracketed and taken out of the mix a little bit, but let other guys shine. And Dak Prescott just, it didn't seem like the um, moment was too big for him. And that's a huge thing to see from a guy who at times has struggled uh, to get over the top and get the signature wins that are necessary. This was a big one, despite the Buccaneers being a struggling team, they were at home. Cowboys had to go on the road playing Tom Brady. It's no small feat. Tom Brady, you know, obviously seemed to to struggle in this one. 66 pass attempts. They had no help. Nothing was working. Shut out in the first half. First time ever for him since 2001, his rookie season. Uh, So that just tells you all I need to know about what kind of day this was for Tom. And you said it last week, Mark, we were going to tell pretty early on from the first drive, kind of what this game was going to be. And first drive yep. ended pretty quickly, and uh, there you go. Dallas gets the score, and they were kind of off to the races from there. 31-14 winners, and Buccaneers sent home probably w- w- the last of what we've seen Tom Brady in a Tampa uniform. And 
It went out with a whimper. It was just like we've talked about a team that really looked old and they had all year long. And it was just a struggle from the start. They couldn't get anything going. Dallas, more talented team won. And so we'll see if they can continue that run next week. Yeah. I mean, the Buccaneers, you got to remember, I mean, in Tom's career there now, it, you know, three playoff runs, a Super Bowl run, a Super Bowl win. I mean, still very successful three-year stint uh, for the greatest yeah, quarterback definitely. of all time. And, um, and it did end on a little bit of a whimper. And this team looked ancient and they didn't look competitive at all. And they haven't all year. So um, I thought there was maybe a little bit magic left. And I wasn't going to be the guy who was willing to bet against Brady and bet on the Cowboys. Uh, but I was wrong. It, and a lot of people uh, were right on that. And they trusted their gut. You did as well. You were 5-1 and one over the weekend. I was 4-2 and because the Bucks dallas game killed us. We both had the Vikings. Um, I, you know what? I, we have a ton of time to talk about Tom, so I don't want to spend any time on that. I will say this. I, I'm about to poop on the Cowboys when we pick these next games. So I'll say this positive about the Cowboys. I think this was a, a moment where they were very prepared for it. I think it was a well-coached Dallas team going into this game. Like it felt like they had the coaching advantage, which we poop on Mike McCarthy a lot, but they felt more prepared. They felt like they knew what their game plan was. I was expecting them to come out conservatively and run the ball and don't let Dak make a mistake, but they were just slinging it. And they thought we're going to take advantage of some of these things. Um, their offensive line held up pretty darn well. Dak stayed pretty clean and credit to Dak. He sensed the moment. There was moments where you're like, you saw him diving, flying around, making big throws, not checking it down, saying to himself, this is a legacy game for him. He got that big contract two years ago. Since then he had the ankle injury, the finger injury, uh, you know, last year and then the finger injury this year missed time. And it was very much like, all right, come on. Like, this is your legacy as a Cowboys quarterback on the line beyond the money and the contracts and all that. And I think he he really showed up. No one's going to fault the Cowboys for getting their uh, heads beat in by the Niners next weekend. Uh, so this was, the, this was a good moment. If you're a Cowboys fan, this is a good moment. You could build on it. I don't know how the Cowboys get better. Uh, how they take the next step. That's something to us to try to figure out in the off season though. Yeah, I totally agree. Dak played like there was something to prove and like there was a lot on the line and there yeah. was, and, um, and he, he came through. So you got to give him credit for that. All right. On to the divisional round. We got four great matchups Saturday and Sunday to look forward to the first. We'll get to see the chiefs and the Eagles. So that should be interesting as well. We'll start with the Saturday games, the Jags at the Kansas City Chiefs. I got the Chiefs in this one. I, I don't think that's a, a crazy statement. They are they are uh, still the best team in the league, in my view, uh, from a holistic viewpoint. They got the defense that can really make uh, things difficult uh, from a pass rush standpoint. That's going to be tough for Trevor Lawrence and company to power through. I don't think they have another game of consistent 10 play drives like that second half against the chargers. They really were able to control. I mean, that's the way they would, if they were to win this game, it would have to be that the chiefs got eight possessions this game, you know, something, yeah. uh, you know, like that to just limit the opportunities that Mahomes has on the field. I just don't see that being the case because I think the chiefs defense is playing really good ball. As of late, they are ascending and, the fact that even all that work could be outdone with one play from the Chiefs on an 80-yard touchdown, 
so, you know, with that being said, they're also at home. You know, this uh, this candle burns out as well for Jacksonville, but a great year and uh, see you next year type of moment. What's what's the I think um, for me, it goes back to the fact that you have an immovable object and an unstoppable force. Trevor Lawrence is undefeated on Saturdays. Andy Reid, I think, is the greatest coach in NFL history off a of bye. And so I'm going to stick with Andy Reid. I think I think Trevor Lawrence loses for the first time in his life on a Saturday. And I don't think you should hang his head down at all. I think this is going to be, though, a high-scoring affair. I think this is going to be one of those kind of gets into a little bit of a shootout. I think the Jags are going to come in. They're going to empty the tank. Doug Peterson has been in big games, in big moments, and has plays for moments like this. I think you see Doug Peterson, Philly specials all across the field. I mean, they're going to unload it. And the Chiefs defense, it can be taken advantage of. It's a good pass rush, but I like the Jags offensive line. So I think this is going to be a high-scoring affair. I think I think it's going to come down to sometime in the third, fourth quarter, Mahomes makes the extra play, helps them get a little separation. The Jags make a, a stupid error or a bad turnover on a, some sort of moment that gives it the separation, but it'll be really entertaining all the way through. I'll, I'll take the Chiefs as well. I don't think they cover the eight and a half. I think it's closer than the eight and a half. Um, I, think the ja- I think the Jags can hang in there. We'll give our official bets uh, on social media by the end of the week, but I, I'm leaning towards right now uh, the Jags covering, but the Chiefs winning. I see this one getting a little bit out of hand, to be quite honest with you, a little bit late. But, um, you know, either way, we both have the Chiefs winning. I just feel that it'll also be interesting. Just a side note, uh, the, you know, Andy Reid disciple and Doug Peterson going against his, you know, former, uh, you know, colleague and mentor. I think that's pretty cool. And maybe that does give Jacksonville a little bit of an edge at some moments of this game, kind of knowing Andy Reid's, you know, techniques and, and strategies. Uh, that that could definitely uh, lend itself. I think this is a close first half and blow it open second half for the Chiefs to win this one. The Giants at the Eagles, uh, the only divisional matchup left in this one. Uh, so, yeah, the high-flying Giants are coming off of a, a crazy end of the year, going up against the one-seed Philadelphia Eagles with a resurgent, uh, you know, and, and fully healthy Jalen Hurts at the helm in Philly. This is probably one I, I think we're both going to agree on as well in Philadelphia winning. However, uh, I you know I think this will be a close one, Mark, pr- primarily because the Giants, again, playing with house money, that's always a scary team. But on top of it, it's really tough to beat the same team three times in a season. And, you know, the Giants swept the regular season series. There was a close one there at the end. And I see, you know, the Giants have been a, an improved team. The Eagles have been a team that obviously faltered late, had a stumble the last few weeks of the regular season, then had a bye. You know, it's going to require Jalen Hurts to come back into midseason form for week one of the postseason. I think it's close uh, in terms of his performance being at the level that it was this season. I don't think he has a dominant performance. Uh, like we have seen. Uh, and so for that reason, I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I think that the Giants are going to give them a run for their money. But in the end, I, it's going to come down to the Eagles making a defensive play, I think, uh, baiting Daniel Jones into a bad mistake, coming up with some sort of big defensive stop and uh, you know fumble recovery touchdown, something like that. That kind of helps put this thing out of reach. But 
it really all boils down to just talent. The Eagles have way more talent across the board. And so I'm going to take that any day of the week in a matchup like this. Yeah. Lane Johnson playing for the Eagles will be huge. If he's playing and I've, I've heard that's he, a big return. Yeah. I've heard he's practicing this week. That could be huge. I think, you know, this is an interesting matchup, obviously divisional, and it'll be the third time these teams have played in six weeks. They played for the first time. Yeah. On yeah. December that's true. 11th, too, yeah. And then they played week 18. Now there's no Daniel Jones. They rested. The giants had everything clinched. Remember, the Eagles brought everyone back to try to win that game, and they did uh, to get the one seed. And now here you are in this in this matchup. I think this is a classic. These teams know each other very well. These teams will play, be very prepared for each other. I think Daniel Jones will be played with a lot of confidence, so I think it's going to be a really fun game. I think this game is going to be entertaining as heck. I think it's going to be um, big plays all around for, for big scores. And um, I like the Eagles to win. I think the Eagles are the better team. I think they have better playmakers. You forget about all those names, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders. Uh, I think that offense is explosive, and I think that defense, they'll be able to at least get some pressure on Daniel Jones. They will at least be able to not have 20 yards with no one available when a guy catches the ball. Uh, This is a real defense they're playing against as opposed to the Vikings. That alone gives me confidence uh, in the uh, in the Eagles. I'll take the Eagles. I I'm I'm very tempted to take the Giants points though. I think this could be a backdoor cover, or the Eagles closer than you think. The Eagles win it late. I think it's up to seven and a half in some places. I've seen it. That's very tasty. I could see this game being. Yeah, Caesars has seven and a half. Yeah, I could see this game being twenty-seven twenty. You know what I mean? And you cover right there. You know, so yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't shock me in that way, but uh, I'm lo- I'm loving the underdogs to cover so far in these games. I like the favorites to win. The matchup I'm most looking forward to, yeah, and uh, oh. you know, I'd be hard pressed to think that uh, you're you disagree. Uh, the Bengals at the Bills in Buffalo. Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen. Great showdown coming up here. Buffalo favored by five, and. Man, this is a tough spot for Buffalo, a tough matchup for Buffalo. And I could really, truly, honestly, seeing this game going either way, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. I'm going to take the Bills to win it, but not entirely confident in that. And and I, the reason I say that is because if the Bengals get any sort of a lead, let's say they're up by 10 points midway through the second quarter, I have confidence that Cincinnati can put this one away by running the football, by being more meticulous and taking time off the clock on several drives. I have less confidence the Bills can do that. And when there's an offense on the other side of Buffalo that scares me just as much as Buffalo's offense, then you need to pull some other things out uh, to get that win. I'm going to bank on Buffalo kind of getting a hot, early start in this game that ends up sustaining them the rest of the way. Uh, But, you know, Cincinnati obviously can make this one a tough one. I think they do make it a tough one. That five point spreads a little scary. I don't know if I want to touch it necessarily, Um, but I'm going to give Buffalo the win. If not anything other than that home field advantage kind of takes that push between the two teams and gives them that little bit of the edge uh, over the top. Um, but man, this one really could go either way. 
I'm so glad you took the Bills. I'm taking the Bengals. I think that um, there we go. What I what I think about this game when I'm looking at it, and I I just kept saying to myself for the last couple of weeks. Now the the Bengals offensive line injuries are terrifying to me, but I don't know if the Bills yeah, can that's take. Scary. I don't know if the Bills can take advantage of it. There's no Vaughn Miller. They don't have that elite game wrecker pass rusher guy. So can the the Bills are, are going to be able to limit the Bengals' big plays because Joe Burrow's not going to have time to stand back in the pocket for five seconds to throw the 60-yard bombs. But the Bengals have so many weapons. Burrow can just distribute it, get into their hands, get the ball out quick, chip away, chip away, chip away, keep Josh Allen on the sideline. If the Bengals can sustain drives, which I think they can, that's going to force the Bills to get a new we got to just throw big, big plays. And then there's going to be a Josh Allen fumble. There's going to be a Josh Allen pick. I think also this is going to be such an emotional game for Buffalo. I wouldn't be shocked if DeMar Hamlin is at the stadium. I also think in a lot of ways it's an emotional game for the Bengals. The Bengals, I think, are frustrated by with the way the NFL handled it. They were the one team that got kind of screwed in this whole situation. They had to baby face a coin toss. And then if they would have won that game against Buffalo – and then the West, the way it shakes out, this game would be in Cincinnati, not in Buffalo. So I think they have a right to be a little griped. I think there's an edge to the Bengals that I like. I'm going to take the Bengals, even though it will be not shocking at all if the, if the uh, Bills win 31 to 10. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that definitely could happen. Right now, it looks like it's just going to be like 33 degrees and, you know, they're not calling for anything, any major snow or anything that can obviously change. We're a week away. But for right now, could be could be uh, you know normal, relatively normal conditions for both of these teams in Buffalo. Finally, the Cowboys at the 49ers, San Fran three and a half point favorites at home. This is actually the one I feel probably more confident in than anything else. I think the 49ers yeah. stack up extremely well with Dallas here. The only thing that really scares me much about Dallas is like the weapons and their offensive firepower. But then the 49ers have such a dominant defense that that they don't scare me anymore. And now I feel like you're going to force Dak to constantly beat you for 60 minutes. And when Dak is put into that situation, I think it's going to be way more difficult for him to have a five-touchdown performance. They're not going to be able to run the ball the way they did last week. And so they're going to rely on his arm the entirety of this game. On the flip side, the 49ers can do whatever they want because they've got Cal Shanahan. They have that system. The defense is going to keep this game relatively close uh, from a scoring standpoint on the other side. So if you're San Fran, you just need Christian McCaffrey to play like Christian McCaffrey. You need Brock to not play, you know, reckless, which is how he's played. He's played pretty buttoned up for most of the season, and he plays well within the system. I think all of that just stacks up to the 49ers, kind of having their way with Dallas. And I could see this one kind of getting away from the Cowboys really early and it not being much of a competition. So that's how I see this one shaking out. San Fran, just a three and a half point favorite, you know, a, a little sneak peek into what the, uh, what the best bets are going to be. I, I think I'm going to power power through and, uh, and really, you know, slam that, that spread right there, because that's just, uh, that's too tasty. I think you're absolutely right. I, I Everything you said, I agree with. I think the one thing I'd add to it in taking the Niners, I would take the Niners, is that how many times did you watch last night and on Monday Night Football and it, it felt like the Bucks defense was like a half a second away from a pick or they were a half a second away from a sack? 
the, the credit to the Cowboys for, you know, the, the ball was there. They made great catches and their offensive line held up. But there were so many times it was like, oh, my God, how is that not a pick? He was right there. Or, oh, my God, he was right there. He's going to sack Dak. He had him. That's the difference between like an old, slower, not great defense versus the best defense in the league. I think they're going to, this defense can swarm at Dallas. I think that they're going to make plays. And I agree with you. If the Niners can sustain drives, all of a sudden they're up 10 nothing. Cowboys get away from running the ball. And there's, you know, there's less time in the clock because you have long run the football drives by the Niners. I, I think Dallas is in real trouble. I, I love I love the Niners in this game. I don't know what it means for the Niners' future, but I think I absolutely think that they're going to uh, walk out of it. Also, remember, the Niners finished the first game of the playoffs so far. They were done and ready to ready for their next opponent by Saturday evening. the The Cowboys, yeah, well rested. Cowboys didn't probably get home to Dallas till three in the morning, and then today's been a wash. Like, all right, guys, just rest, and we'll try to maybe start watching film. And meanwhile, the Niners have known they're playing. Either the Cowboys, or the Bucks, and for for forty eight hours at this point in time. I mean, it's a huge advantage, huge advantage for the Niners, and they're already the better team, and they're already at home too. So, like on yeah. top of all of that, Cowboys still have to travel then too to top it all off. So, yeah, we Mark and I have the 49ers, the Bills, and the Chiefs. We all agree on, or I'm sorry, the 49ers. The Eagles and the Chiefs, and then we disagree on the Bengals and Bills. I'm taking Buffalo. Mark is taking Cincinnati. But other than that, uh, we've got uh, you know a lot of agreement here with the four remaining yep. games so far in the 2023 postseason. So we'll come back at you next week with a recap of these games and a preview of the AFC and NFC Championship game with the final four. 